Thank you for listening to the Manage Smarter Podcast. Your hosts, C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong, navigate new ways to hire, develop, and retain talent, helping your team soar to higher performance. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. Well, hello, Lee. You know, I was thinking about the culture here at SalesFuel, and it's really awesome, but you really just obsess over it all the time. Why? Well, the culture here is pretty great because I obsess over it, Audrey. Oh, well, that's why we're going to talk about culture again, because really, if your culture is bad, it makes your employees miserable. (laughs) And that's another way that you need to manage smarter. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Audrey Strong from SalesFuel. And I'm Celie Smith, the president and CEO of SalesFuel. Company culture as an area that you could talk about for, well, does anybody want to listen for 12 hours? And we have Michael Stollard with us today. He is an expert in this. He's the co-founder and president of the Connection Culture Group. This is a leadership training and consulting firm based in Greenwich, Connecticut. Michael gives keynote speeches. He teaches workshops and consults in a wide variety of business, government, healthcare, and education organizations. Listen to some of these clients. Costco, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, NASA, the U.S. Treasury. Who wouldn't want to have them as a client? I bet that's pretty interesting. Turner Construction Company. Michael also is affiliated with Texas Christian University, founded the TCU Center for Connection Culture based on his work and those of his colleagues, and an author, like you don't have enough hours in a day, Mike, primary author of the book, Connection Culture, The Competitive Advantage of Shared Identity, Empathy, and Understanding at Work. Michael Stollard, thank you for being here. Thanks, Lee and Audrey. It's great to be with you. All right. Well, we're off to the races. I know part of what you like to talk about is task excellence and relationship excellence relating to culture. What does that mean? Well, what I found is that most managers are intentional about task excellence, right? It's clear that that's part of our job. We have results we have to deliver and we focus on what tasks need to be done to get there. But the problem is, unless we're intentional about relationship excellence in addition to task excellence, then the failure to create those strong working relationships will come back and sabotage your performance. And it happens in predictable ways. When people don't feel this sense of connection and esprit de corps, the spirit of the group, the body of, that produces relationship excellence, then they, over time, don't tend to give their best efforts. They don't They may not feel like a part of the team. They don't give their best efforts. They don't align their behavior with the team's goals. They don't fully communicate so that decision makers get access to the best information to make optimal decisions. They also don't think about how to improve the performance of the team. They show up for the paycheck, but they really don't give their whole selves. And over time, it leads to mediocre performance. So when we talk about culture, Mike, how do you define culture? Because I've got about three different definitions of it. I've heard about a thousand of them, and most of them are stupid. So what's yours? <laughs> well, Lee, that, you know, that's a brilliant question because uh, you know, what we found is that managers are, it's ambiguous to them what culture is, you know, just for those reasons you stated. There seem to be so many different definitions of culture depending upon the area you're talking about. If it's, you know, organizational behavior versus biology versus sociology. They're all a little bit different. But so we decided that it would really be helpful for managers if we could be 
simple, clear, memorable, and actionable. And so what we came up with is that for the purposes of a, a manager in the context of business or an organization, culture should be thought of as attitudes, language, and behavior. Thought, words, and deeds is another way to say it. Mm. And, you know, we all know, for those of us who are in sales or have been in sales, we know that our attitudes do make a difference. They affect the people we're prospecting. They affect working together with team members. So what are those attitudes that really produce the best results? What language can we use? Some language, although well-intentioned, can provoke a negative response, and some language provokes a positive response. So what's the language we can use? And then what are the behaviors? What are the actual actions that we take? And we've been studying that, whether it's those attitudes, language, and behaviors you find at the engineering section of the NASA Johnson Space Center or the U.S. Navy or TCU or Sloan Kettering or Costco. So we've been learning across all these different domains about what attitudes, language, and behavior produces the best results. You said you had some examples that you could sort of share with us with some of these large, complex organizations. Can you give us one of those stories? Well, you mentioned Costco. Let me, you know, I love okay. Costco. My family makes Who doesn't? Costco like once a week. So I'm like a Costco nerd, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> let me, you know, share with you the Costco example. So Costco what we teach in our work is that managers need to understand there's three types of cultures, cultures that make people feel controlled, cultures that make people feel that those around them are just indifferent to them, or cultures that they feel connected to their supervisor, to the people they work with. Those are the cultures that really help us thrive. And so we use a simple formula to create that connection culture. It's vision, value, and voice. So okay. in the case of Costco, Costco's vision is what really, you know, vision produces a sense of pride in the organization. And the people at Costco, what I've discovered is they feel a sense of pride about Costco's values that they describe as do the right thing, which they have very specific actions behind that, which is follow the law, take good care of our members, take good care of our employees, respect our suppliers. And if we do that, we'll reward our shareholders. Well, you know, over the last 15 years, they've outperformed the S&P 500 by, you know, 50% higher return than the S&P 500. So it's really worked well for them. And they are on an utter roll now around the world. They're just growing like crazy. And that there's a sense of pride about this is a good place to work where my employer cares about me, my supervisor cares about me, and we work together as a team. And it's produced great results. The second part is, so yeah, that's, that's vision, do the right thing. The value part you find in a number of examples. One is that they pay their employees well. And Wall Street's always griping at Costco, trying to get them to cut their wage and benefits costs. Oh, their wow. view is we want to provide a living wage mm -hmm. for our employees. We know that our retention is in an industry where the annual turnover is, or annual retention is about 35%. Our retention is 90% plus. That gives us a huge cost. Wow. Their sales, general, and administrative expense as a percentage of revenues is much lower. It's much lower than their competitors like Walmart for that reason, because they have very high retention rates. And now you see some competitors trying to copy them. But, you know, they've been doing this a long time, so they have a lot of credibility that they're not going to change their approach. And it just shows that they value their employees. They also value their employees in terms of just internal promotions. Most of the people mm -hmm. at the top of Costco started 
you know, shagging carts in the, in the parking lot. So they, you know, they, they really walk the talk when it comes to valuing their members and their employees. And then finally, they give people a voice. Last year, I was speaking to all the warehouse managers around the world at their annual managers conference in Seattle. And they invited me to be there in the morning as well before I spoke late morning. And it was so interesting to see that they were just showing all these innovations that employees on the front lines had come up with. You know, there were ideas coming from Asia and Europe and all across America and Canada and just all around the world. It just showed that they encouraged their people on the front lines or really throughout the organization to uh, speak up and share their ideas. And then they shared those across Costco. So they're constantly driving down costs because everybody has a voice. That's the third part of vision, value, voice. And when vision, value, voice exists, people feel connected and they thrive. It also helps protect them from stress mm-hmm. in the workplace. Mm-hmm. So, but that's a quick, in a nutshell, Costco is a good example of a connection culture. So when someone hires you and you go and you speak to all these managers and everything like that, and you're doing assessments, I'm guessing, on their performance and their attitudes and things like that, What's the number one mistake or the number one thing that you see managers do that actually has a negative impact on a company's culture? The number one thing I would say is they, let me answer that in a couple different ways, Lee. One is I think there is a a lot of deception about how engaged their employees are. Hmm. And so I've just, and I've seen this with some of the best, you know, I've written about some phenomenal leaders And those who didn't really give their employees a voice to report on their employee experience and whether it was living up to the values of the organization, I could see that there were managers in the organization who were kissing up and kicking down. Mm -hmm. And it really, it damaged their credibility. And and in some cases, people thought that they were aware of those kiss up, kick down managers, and that hurt the perception of the leader at the top. So I'm a big fan of having surveys, whether it's employee engagement survey, employee satisfaction survey, or culture survey, that really gives employees throughout the organization a voice to share, are they experiencing what the company promises? So that's the number one thing. It's, it's a blind spot that most managers have. One of the things that Lee and I talked about when we were prepping for the show was to talk about, so you've talked about retention rates, that's a cost savings. What are the other ways that you measure the ROI of changing or even initially implementing a strong company culture? And then I want to ask you about, let's say it's a company that has one, but they don't think they're seeing a return or, I don't know, forward projections of the numbers, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. What are the tools or ways that you sell them on? You really should do this. It'll come back to you. Trust me. Well, it's a number of things, Audrey. One is I show them the data. You know, Gallup organization has done a huge amount of research, just it's worldwide too. So you see it goes beyond cultures. It really gets to the nature of human beings, how we're wired. And what we see is that in outcomes of organizations, whether it's productivity, customer satisfaction, safety, quality numbers, all those outcomes move in a positive direction. And some for example, move a great deal. Let me just mention two I just wrote about in an article. So for example, quality and safety numbers in organizations and business units that are in the top quartile in terms of reporting a sense of connection, if you compare that to the bottom quartile, this is based on the Gallup you know, global research, like 1.4 million people. And 
the difference is almost a 50% reduction in accidents and quality defects in those top quartile units that report. So, I mean, the impact on organizations that are, say, in construction, I do a lot in healthcare, you know, these could be life and death matters in terms of the metrics if you have accidents or, you know, especially you think in healthcare, that's a big issue. So it has a profound effect. And to understand that, what I help clients do is really understand the science and the biology behind it. And just in a nutshell, what happens is our environment affects several things in our bodies. One, it affects the neurotransmitters in our brains. It affects brain activity. It affects hormones that flow in our bloodstream throughout our body. And it affects the allocation of blood glucose and oxygen. So for example, when you feel connected, Matthew Lieberman, the neuroscientist at UCLA, calls connection a superpower. It makes us smarter, more productive, and happier. Mm -hmm. It also makes us healthier. And in terms of its effect on stress, stress, it changes the allocation of blood glucose and oxygen so that when we're under chronic stress, you know, and we all feel that, right? Sometimes we have a lot of sales quotas we have to meet, you know, Mm -hmm. quarter after quarter, year after year, and that creates some pressure as we all know. And sometimes as salespeople, we're on our own. We don't necessarily sell in teams. And, you know, that's, that can be a bad thing too. We don't have that relational support. And so our body, when we feel that chronic stress, it will over allocate blood glucose and oxygen to the heart, the lungs, and the big muscles. Those are the fight or flight system. Mm -hmm. And it under allocates to part of the brain that affects our memory, our digestive system, our immune system, so we're more vulnerable to sickness and disease, and the reproductive system. Mm. Now, if you're stuck in that state, you know, if it's a short-term stress response, that could be good. If you're being mugged, having a stress response is a valuable thing. Yes. <laughs> so you can <laughs> we don't want to eliminate that. Person, right? <laughs> if need be here, you know. Yeah. But if you're stuck in that state of chronic stress, it's bad. It'll shave years off your life. It really dumbs you down, too, because it shifts the brain activity from the front of the brain, where we make rational decisions, to the midbrain where there's a higher probability we'll we'll make rash decisions. So, you know, I'm just touching on it very briefly, but there are all these biological triggers that happen that really make us underperform in our work. Mm -hmm. And of course that spills over to our life outside of work too. So one of the things that that managers have as a major source of stress is, you know, that one bad apple that seems to spoil the whole bunch. And I think that applies to culture as well. You know, it's the employee that just has a negative attitude or somehow displays other types of toxic behaviors that negatively impact other people on the team. Do you have any advice for managers on how to deal with those types of people? I do. And, and we get involved in that. Uh, you know, there, I, I think of one organization that brought us in, they had a huge producer, but he was utterly toxic to his team. And they had done everything to try to figure out, you know, he was probably the number one producer from a revenue standpoint, wow. letting him go. I mean, we're talking about millions and millions of dollars that he was producing of revenue. And letting him go was going to be painful, but they were ready to do it. And so they decided we're going to give him one last chance. We came into the organization. We interviewed people to understand. We really sat down with him and helped him understand that, you know, what you're doing is counterproductive to what you really want. You know, you say you want this, but you're doing these things that are really sabotaging your success. But, you know, there were some deeper, as there often are, some Mm -hmm. issues, some cases, you know, addiction Mm -hmm. issues even at times that are sabotaging people's success. You know, there 
if they're not uh, connecting well in the workplace, they're typically not connecting outside the workplace mm-hmm. and struggling with loneliness, and that fuels addictive behaviors. So we helped put almost really an agreement in place to say this is the last chance. You're going to agree to this. And we interviewed coaches and helped the organization hire one that would support him, that, you know, to help him process what he was doing week to week and help him stay within the boundaries of the agreement. So, so far, so good. Good. But my advice is, you know, it's important to really sit down and confront the issue, to have a conversation and help the individual see that their behaviors are counterproductive to their own best interests. And then help them, you know, help try to understand why, you know, why are, why are they doing this? And oftentimes it's going to require some outside help, whether it's oh, yeah. a coach or in some cases it's mental health issues. A therapist sometimes, yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. right, exactly. It's fascinating. Well, I hope we've got everybody worked up over examining their company culture. I can absolutely confirm everything you're saying. I, I'm not going to say where I worked previously, but I worked for somebody else before that Lee knows before I started my own business and then joined SalesFuel. But I can attest to the fact that it was a, a, a culture that made me extremely uncomfortable. And I worked there for one year. And I literally, by six months in, I was physically ill. Like I would wake up in the morning and I felt like I was being sent to the gulag, like physically ill. And I didn't think that that was possible. So having experienced it firsthand and I mean, being so unbelievably happy at sales fuel, it's just a complete, it's, it's like Mars and Pluto. It's not even a comparison. Yeah. And you know, I'm glad you brought that up, Audrey, because it's those feelings of sickness that often drive people to addictive behaviors because they have, you know, their mortgages to pay, maybe college education to fund. Mm -hmm. And so when you don't feel well, you start looking for ways just to get through your day. You know, I experienced that in stages of working on Wall Street with my long commute from Connecticut to New York City and long hours. And I had some mergers I was working on that were really difficult. And I, I didn't realize I didn't have, you know, I'd crowded out time for relationships in my life. My body, I'm sure, was in a state of constant stress response trying to figure out how to make these things work. And I, I didn't feel well, which is when you're in that stress response and several of your bodily systems are not getting the blood glucose and oxygen they need to perform well, you don't feel well. And so, you know, I needed more coffee. I needed exercise to rev up throughout the day. I needed alcohol to slow down at night. And it just, you know, my life was spinning out of control. It just, you know, I actually had to leave and take some time off to heal. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until processing that and I eventually figured out that that was what was going on. But I didn't really know as a human being, I was hardwired to connect and that was a need, not a want. And I would dysfunction if I didn't have it. But now I know, and that's one of the reasons we do what we do is because we think there are a lot of people out there who don't, like me, don't, didn't realize that they really need those relationships. But we're all type A's and type A's tend to hang on too long mm-hmm. to stay too long when it's bad yeah. because it's like, I don't walk away from anything. I'm, gonna, that's I'm right. not a quitter. That's right. I'm not, we, yeah, we, I'm not we, a quitter. We can take the pain. But, you know, yeah. it's like when I had my <laughs> appendix out, you know, it, it happened to be, it's funny, it's about this time of year. And I was watching some NCAA, you know, the NCAA tournament. And I didn't want to go to the hospital. 
because I'm watching some great games. They have TV my there. Like, yeah, have, yeah. My wife was like, yeah, they have TV at the hospital, yeah. Mike. Didn't my they wife tell you? Like, this? you idiot, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you, can't, you can't stand up straight. Don't you think you should go? So she called the hospital and they said, yeah, you couldn't have appendicitis. So they rushed me in and, and uh, took my appendix out. But, you know, we have a tolerance for pain. More importantly, did your team win? (laughs) (laughs) I learned my lesson, though, from that. (laughs) Sometimes you have to listen to those pain signals. So, Mike, uh, so managers listening to this podcast, they're they're fired up about culture, and they're, they're realizing that, geez, some of the some of the issues that they've been that trouble by and everything like that mm-hmm. might be directly attributable to, to this. How did they get started on, on improving their culture? Besides calling you. Uh, well, after they call you, yeah. what do they do? Yeah, after they call Mike. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's a simple thing uh, without calling me. Okay. You know, look at somebody who is good at connecting with others. And if that's something you're struggling with, you know, I see this all the time. You find some managers who really have some great competency skills in terms of just organizing tasks, getting things done, but they're not as, you know, they're promoted to supervisors and they're not as great at connecting with people. And that's an area they need to develop and that can be coached and they can learn it over time. If that's you and I'm describing you and you you know, you need to be better in that. Find somebody who's good at connecting and ask them to mentor you. Now, it requires some humility to do that. You know, it may be your spouse. And oftentimes, the spouses are opposites attract. And the, your spouse could help you with that. Or someone mm-hmm. else you admire. Maybe you have multiple coaches. And, and that could help you. One of the things that we, if people go to my blog, which is michaelleestollard.com, then you could uh, sign up for our email newsletter and you would get 100 ways to connect. And it's something we started developing for the rocket scientists at the NASA Johnson Space Center because they came to us and said, we really need the language to use in certain instances. You know, we need the words. Tell us what words to say. Actual rocket scientists. Okay, we we can help you with that. And so that's, it's 100 ways to connect. Many of them are evidence-based, based on science. You know, think we picked them up from just a wide variety of our clients and it's a very helpful tool. And then, of course, our book connection culture really explains. It has great case studies of Alan Mulally's turnaround at Ford, Coach Mike Shashevsky's leading the Duke basketball men's basketball team. He's created a connection culture, I would say. So it's a why you know it's an inspiring book, and it helps you really understand this. And it's relevant to not only the workplace but your family as well and your community. And getting a hold of you, do you want email, phone? People that want to reach out. Yeah, you could reach me at mike at connectionculture.com. That's great. This has been such a pleasure. Oh, I, I you uh, really enjoyed awesome. your concepts and thoughts. So any questions or comments about this podcast, or if you want to suggest a guest, just email me, a strong at salesfuel.com. And please spread the word to all your friends. We need good word of mouth. Um, and subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, because that's the thing that really gets us zooming up the charts right guys so right. thanks again in addition to, to everything michael was saying and, and hitting his website and his blog and everything like that tell us to check out teamkeeper.com which is our SaaS platform which is specifically designed for employee engagement a real-time feedback and, and building your company culture by improving the skills of your frontline managers and lots of good stuff for you there as well sounds good well thanks for tuning in everyone thanks mike thank you mike appreciate thank your time you. thanks audrey Thanks for listening. 
If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.